This moment of going, all right, have you ever felt pressure when making decisions? And you're like, uh, yeah, right? Whether that's internally, externally from others, right? Or have you ever felt that anxiety and fear begin to rise up, begin to bubble up in the way that you're like, I want to make the right decision. I really do, but I don't know how. What if all of those things begin to swirl? Because life is hard and we have to make decisions every single day. And some of those decisions are easy, no-brainers, don't have to spend any time with. And then there are others where it feels like we are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Where we're not sure which way to go. And sometimes with the decision that needs to be made to do the right thing is by far the much harder decision. And so how do we begin to get our footing? How does God help us in decision making? How can we find our way? So today we are going to look at a story out of Esther. And Esther had become queen. When we get to the part of the story in the book that we're in, we have gone through at this point her becoming queen, knowing that her uncle, her guardian Mordecai, had absolutely encouraged her to do this. And now he finds himself in a desperate situation. And she is going to have to respond. And there's a whole lot of fear and anxiety as we get into this story. So starting in Esther chapter 4, verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. When Mordecai learned what had been done, he tore his clothes, dressed in mourning clothes, and put ashes on his head. When Esther's female servants and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, the queen's whole body showed how upset she was. She sent everyday clothes for Mordecai to wear instead of mourning clothes, but he rejected them. Esther sent for Hathach, one of the royal eunuchs, whose job it was to wait on her. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was going on and why he was acting this way. Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. He spelled out the exact amount of silver that Haman promised to pay into the royal treasury. It was in exchange for the destruction of the Jews. All right, so here's what happens. So Mordecai is part of the king's court. So he's like an advisor. Haman, also part of the king's court. Haman hates Mordecai. Haman has, like, he's got jealousy issues. He doesn't like Mordecai for, like, looking at him. I mean, he is one of those, like, haters, and he facilitates a law to be written that not only will destroy Mordecai, but it will destroy all of the Jews, right? One man's decision of hate and anger and cruelty because of Mordecai, because he doesn't like Mordecai, has him going after anybody that might be like Mordecai. So a problem. And we can understand why Mordecai is distressed. But Esther doesn't know this yet. And Esther tries to respond. She hears, like, something's wrong. Mordecai's in mourning clothes. And, and she tries to respond. She tries to encourage. She tries to be helpful. She sends him clothes and he rejects them. And she doesn't understand why. But instead of getting mad and saying, well, fine then, if you don't want my help and going off the other way, instead she does something interesting. 
She tries to gain understanding. So she is able to send one of her eunuchs that waits on her, Hathich, off to see what in the world is going on with Mordecai. She wants understanding of the situation because she can't get it from just an outside perspective. And for us, when we have decisions we have to make, when we're trying to respond to someone else, of being able to take that step back and look at all of the different ways, trying to gain that understanding of what's really going on. Not an assumption of what we think is going on, but instead beginning to ask questions of what in the world is happening. And Mordecai tells Hathach, says, here, here it is. Mordecai told him everything that happened to him. He spelled out the exact amount of silver that Haman promised to pay into the royal treasury. It was in exchange for the destruction of the Jews. So Esther taking the time to ask questions, Esther, well, sending her guy to ask questions, making sure that they've got understanding because the first response she had was not accepted. And realizing that, that when we're making decisions and responding, that there are going to be times where people don't respond well, even though we mean well, even though we're trying to encourage and going, all right, well, let me try to really understand what's going on. Because Esther could have gone, well, uh, you must not like me anymore. But that's not really what was happening. And so to take the time to go, what is, how can I really help? Help me understand the situation of why you find yourself so distressed, Mordecai. She gets to ask that, and the response comes back to her. Continuing on in verses 8 through 11. He also gave Hathach a copy of the law made public in Susa concerning the Jews' destruction, so that Hathach could show it to Esther and report it to her. Through him, Mordecai ordered her to go to the king to seek his kindness and his help for her people. Hathach came back and told Esther what Mordecai had said. In reply, Esther ordered Hathach to tell Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people in the provinces know that there's a single law in a case like this. Any man or woman who comes to the king in the inner courtyard without being called is to be put to death. Only the person to whom the king holds out the gold scepter may live. In my case, I haven't been called to come to the king for the past 30 days. All right. So Mordecai sends the law. Mordecai sends the message to Hathach, also sending the message of, Hey, Esther, we need your help. You are a Jew. We need your help in this moment. We need you to do something. You have got to go to the king. And Esther's like, whoa, wait a minute, hold up. There's some risk involved in what you're asking. Like, th this isn't an easy ask. Like, I could be put to death. A moment where we understand just how high the stakes have become and how difficult of a position Esther is now put in because she loves Mordecai. That is the person who raised her. That is the person who guided her. And the king, whom she is beholden to as the queen, has put forth a law. He doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. He doesn't know that, he, that this law will also result in her destruction. And so it's a moment for her to be weighing, like, wait a minute, do I go now? Do I say who I am? How do I handle this? And that's a really important thing. 
of recognizing when we're being asked to take a risk, when we're feeling the pressure to make a decision of going, okay, let me understand this a little bit more. Let me understand because this is the risk being very open about. This is the risk that will have to be taken. And what is the purpose of that risk? Is it, a, is it for the long term? Is it for the, the betterment? Like there's a short-term risk and there's a long-term risk. Is this a risk that is going to help other people, not just self? So really, she has a lot to weigh here. Continuing on in verses 12 through 16. When they told Mordecai Esther's words, he had them respond to Esther. Don't think for one minute that unlike all the other Jews, you'll come out of this alive simply because you are in the palace. In fact, if you don't speak up at this very important time, relief and rescue will appear for the Jews from another place. But you and your family will die. But who knows? Maybe it was for a moment like this that you came to be part of this royal family. Esther sent back this word to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and tell them to give up eating to help me be brave. They aren't to eat or drink anything for three whole days and I myself will do the same along with my female servants. Then even though it's against the law, I will go to the king and if I am to die, then die I will. Mordecai helps give perspective to Esther. He gives, you might be okay in the short term, but you're not going to be okay in the long term. And for that, that's really important for us to keep in mind of who do we surround ourselves with? That when we've got a really difficult decision to make, when we feel that pressure of making decisions, who do we go to and talk about it? And are they able to give us a perspective of the short-term risk versus the long-term risk? Are they able to show us something, another perspective on it to help us go, wait a minute, this is what I must do. This is how I can go forward. And to begin to really kind of dig into that of who do we surround ourselves with that make it and who can give us a perspective? Because what he says here, it's just, it's so important for us to consider. But who knows, maybe it was for a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family. Whatever decision, big decision we're having to wrestle with, whatever pressure we're feeling, maybe we have been given the gifts and abilities to actually address it to actually respond to it and who helps us give who helps give us that perspective or else you say mm, actually I don't think you're equipped enough for who do we go to for insight into how to proceed and then something else interesting happens Esther agrees okay I'm going to do this and if I die I will die but she will not be in this alone. She actually sends back word for them to fast and ultimately to pray for her. Like fasting is all about that you are focused upon a particular thing, that removing the, the eating and the drinking is supposed to help one focus down. And so what she's asking here, we better understand this today, of the prayers for strength, the prayers for guidance, the prayers that 
She knows that people are with her, that she is not going in there alone. She may be alone in front of the king, but there are all those others that are praying. There's a community that surrounds her and upholds her in the decision that she has to make and the risk that she has to take. And for ourselves, who are we surrounding ourselves with that when we find ourselves in a difficult spot, not only can give us perspective, but can also now build us up and strengthen us with prayers that help us to know that we are absolutely not alone in this moment and reminds us that God is with us, that reminds us that God has not abandoned us, that reminds us that whatever road we are on, we do not go it alone. Continuing on in in chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. Three days later, Esther put on royal clothes and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace. Facing the palace itself, at that moment the king was inside sitting on his royal throne and facing the palace doorway. When the, when the king noticed Queen Esther standing in the entry court, he was pleased. The king held out to Esther the gold scepter in his hand, and she came forward and touched the scepter's tip. Then the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? I'll give you anything, even half the kingdom. Esther answered, If the king wishes, please come today with Haman for the feast that I have prepared for him. So three days later, right after the fasting and the praying, but also to see the three days as preparation that Esther needs to collect how she is going to go about this moment. How is she going to proceed? How is she going to engage? If the king allows her to speak, if the king asks her just as he does, How is she going to respond in that moment? Which shows us something really important. Sometimes we feel like we must rush to make a decision. We feel that pressure just coming in on us, and so we rush. And how often when we rush do we take missteps? But it also shows us the other side of not procrastinating, of not procrastinating too long, of putting it off, of, I think that can wait another week, Ah, maybe another month. Because the longer we procrastinate, the worse the situation can become. And so here Esther is showing us the importance of balance, of when we are trying to respond, when we're trying to make decisions, of balancing between that sense of rush and of procrastination and being very intentional about every step she's taking. And so when we're responding, when we're making those decisions, when we're having to take a risk, how are we being intentional with what we decide, with the way forward? How are we carefully taking those steps, not rushing, but not procrastinating to respond to the things that are so very important? And here we get that the king actually responds better than expected. In fact, he offers up to half his kingdom, which sounds kind of absurd, but part of the story is that he is giving her more than his expectation, but she doesn't choose to lay it all out right there. That's something else important with how she chose to approach it. She invites him to dinner. She invites him and Haman to dinner. And maybe that's because she thinks, I don't know if the king's ready to hear about Haman because Haman was kind of like the right-hand guy of the king. 
And she wants to make sure that Haman shows himself for who he is. And so she is setting this up, not rushing, not procrastinating, but she is setting this up so that Haman will reveal who Haman is to the king. So it's not just what the, what the queen says. It's not just her word against his, but instead being able to give a full sense of the situation, the gravity of this moment. And for ourselves, of how we approach, how we proceed, not rushing, not lingering, but instead being very intentional with the things that we say and do, with the questions that we ask, with how we approach the conversation with how we approach making the decision. When we do that, does it begin to change the dynamic? Does it begin to, maybe we still feel that anxiousness, that fear bubbling, but it kind of begins to reveal the path in a little bit different way than had we just, she had gone in, she would said, don't, don't do this, don't. The king may not have heard her, may not have understood Instead, her approach, her way, is giving an understanding in and of itself. Finishing up in verses 5 through 8. Hurry, get Haman, the king orders, so we can do what Esther says. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. As they sipped wine, the king asked, Now what is it you wish? I'll give it to you. What do you want? I'll do anything, even give you half the kingdom. Esther answered, this is my wish and this is what I want. If I please the king and if the king wishes to grant my wish and my desire, I'd like the king and Haman to come to another feast that I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will answer the king's questions. So the king suspected that there was more to this. He just wasn't quite sure what it was. And so he once again says, what do you want, Esther? Like, what, what can I do? Help, help me to understand. And Esther says, well, I need you to come back to dinner once more. Come back and I will absolutely answer that question. It's a moment for her to even realize, for us to go, wait a minute, she didn't do it at the dinner. She's waiting yet another step. So she must see something. She must notice something. She is using wisdom as her guide in this moment, using wisdom not just from Mordecai, not just from contemplating, but a wisdom that gives her insight and ability into the conversation of what she needs to do and how she needs to go forward. And when we're thinking about understanding of wisdom, of how she is being deliberate very intentional every step of the way, we have to understand the part that wisdom plays. And we don't talk a whole lot about wisdom being a part of our decision making, or maybe we, we just never think about it in general. But here's why talking about wisdom and asking how is wisdom part of the way that we approach, how is wisdom a part of our decision-making process is so important. Because uh, wisdom, according to Merriam-Webster, is an ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, good sense, accumulated philosophical or scientific learning, a wise attitude, belief or course of action, the teachings of wise men. 
right? And we can start to see that when we're looking at the story of Esther, an ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, good sense, a wise attitude, right? She's, she's not popping off. She's not rushing. She's not procrastinating. Belief or course of action. So wisdom helps us begin to go, all right, here are the thoughts. Here are the things that we need to respond to. Here's the way that we're experiencing the world and go, all right, now what action do we take? And the theologian, Wendy Farley, gives us a real sense of how that wisdom that we've just been talking about is connected to God. It, it comes from God. And she says in her book, she has uh, quite a bit in her book, Gathering Those Driven Away, but a couple of pieces out of there kind of give us a sense of, okay, what is this wisdom? By using the metaphor of wisdom to express divine creativity, the Hebraic tradition, so the Hebrew tradition, says that creation is ordered well, even beautifully. The beauty of the earth manifests an eternal truth about the divine nature. But wisdom is a metaphor drawn from the human mind. It is the medium by which human beings befriend God, that is, participate in the divine nature. Wisdom is an older word for the human mind's capacity for immediate awareness. Wisdom mediates between this awareness and concrete action. So the wisdom of God. So part of who God is, is wisdom. And God creates wisdom and imparts wisdom and gives us wisdom, which is this whole part of when we access it, we are befriending God and we become part of the action and the creativity, the beauty of the world. And so here, the beauty and the creativity that that Esther is accessing with wisdom is she is finding a different way. And if you were to continue to read on through the story, you would find that where she is creating a different way of responding to this situation that ultimately will save people's lives, that will show Haman for who he is, but then at the same time, save all the Jews' life. All of them. To think about that wisdom of how wisdom plays such an important part in how she makes decisions, of how she goes forward, because we're always gonna be under pressure. We are gonna to have to deal with difficult decisions and we're gonna feel that fear and anxiety begin to bubble up. But when we begin to access wisdom that is connected to God, of going, all right, where is God guiding in this? How do I go forward in such a way that brings a creative solution, brings a creativeness of giving life, of being able to help others in new and wonderful ways? Then we begin to move in different directions. We begin to see the importance of the decision-making process and that we are not alone in it. We also realize just how much when we make decisions that it has a ripple effect out from us. And so how will we wrestle this day with the decisions that we make that connect to the story of Esther, 
of being intentional, of being able to balance between rushing and procrastination, of being able to surround ourselves with a community who can give us that perspective of the short-term risk versus the long-term risk, who can support us in prayer and strengthen us for the journey, who are able to be present in us in a, with us in a multitude of ways that say we are not alone. How will we allow this story to, to cultivate that want to understand, to better understand situations, to cultivate that desire for making sure we are incorporating wisdom into our decision-making process? How will we be challenged by this story today? Amen. Thank you.